Light a campfire and everyone's a storyteller. Join us for some thought-provoking and beyond fireside chats. Hello and welcome to Leave Our World a Better Place. My name is Kasia and today I'm speaking to Mark Wheeler, and Beyond's Managing Director for Asia, South America and Business Development. Mark will be speaking to us about the Galapagos Islands as part of the portfolio that he manages for and beyond. Mark started off his career as a wildlife guide in Ecuador and spent more than a decade living in South America, looking after operations of all kinds of travel operators and setting up and beyond's operations in South America. Welcome, Mark. Thanks very much, Cassia. It's great to be with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to talk about a part of the world that carries a certain mystique and fascination around it. When we speak about travel and about travel destinations, the word unique is, is very often used, but there are very little places in the world that it actually applies to, as well as the Galapagos Islands. They really are a part of the world that are just completely different from any other place on Earth. What makes them so unusual? Certainly, Cassia, and, and thanks very much. It's a, it's a great question. And like you say, unique is a word that's bandied around a lot. Um, sometimes overused. I mean, I'd like to start by saying that the Galapagos is a truly iconic world wildlife destination. I mean, you know, obviously Ambion's famous for, for operating in, in other similar iconic wildlife destinations like the Masai Mara and the Ngorongoro Crater and the Serengeti, Okavango, the Sabi Sands, even Ranthambore and Kaziranga in, um, in Asia. But, you know, the Galapagos is an absolute must, must, must for any wildlife lover, or even someone who's interested in wildlife at all. Uh, the reason it's so unique, to get back to your question, is that the archipelago is created by a series of undersea volcanoes, which basically bubbled up on the seafloor and then formed these islands. In fact, there's 18 major islands and three smaller islands and up to 107 rocks and islets that form the Galapagos archipelago or collection of islands you know, as a result of these undersea volcanic eruptions way out there in the Pacific Ocean. That's one of the aspects. So it sort of evolved, if you like, in complete isolation away from anything else. Another unique aspect is it's the meeting point for two major ocean currents and three minor ones. You've got the nutrient-rich Humboldt current coming up from the south, you know, bordering um, Peru up from Antarctica, really. And then you've got the warmer Panama current coming down from the north. The two equatorial currents and, and countercurrents um, that also meet there, and uh, the nutrient rich Cromwell current um, that produces this upwelling from the ocean depths, all converging in this amazing archipelago off the coast of, of Ecuador. And those currents produce temperature divergence, um, huge amounts of wildlife which turn into foodstuff for other wildlife. And, uh, you know, this point about the ocean currents is amazing. I mean, Diving in the Galapagos, I've dived in, in water as, as um, cool or cold as 11 degrees and as warm as 25 degrees centigrade. That kind of variance doesn't really occur anywhere else in the world. And, and, and these ocean currents and, and unique sort of geography and, and geology of the location and the volcanoes are an absolute material contributor to, the, to both marine and land-based diversity that you get as a wildlife destination. And I know diversity is one of those things that the words that people bandy around a lot as well. But, but let me just be clear about the, the diversity and the uniqueness 
uh, of the, the wildlife in the Galapagos. The rate of endemicity or endemic species that you find in the Galapagos is the highest rate of endemic species of any archipelago anywhere in the world. You've got 180 endemic plants, five endemic seabirds, four species of endemic land birds, 20 endemic reptiles, six endemic mammal species. Bearing in mind that endemic means it isn't found anywhere else in the world, this shows how unique this area is. And, um, you know, you may say, and I'm sure anyone who's interested in Ambiond and the, and the care that we have of the, of the, the wildlife and the land, um, mm-hmm. particularly in, in this instance, you may say, well, that's fantastic. Um, how has it remained unique? Because obviously there are, are many places around the world that, that have been unique or, or, or were unique in the past and then, you know, perhaps have been impacted by, you know, man's ever uh, marching progression, if you like. And the really lucky thing about the Galapagos in that aspect is that the uniqueness of the Galapagos was recognized even as long ago as 90 years ago. The first protective legislation um, around the Galapagos was drafted in 1930, if you can believe it. And although it was not until 1959 that the Galapagos was declared a national park, the framework was already in place. Today, uh, the national park itself covers 97.5% of the land Mm -hmm. of the archipelago. And the 70,000 square kilometers surrounding the islands was declared a marine reserve in 1986. That's a marine reserve second only in size to the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. So this unique area of the world and unique wildlife destination has been well looked after and well protected. And and just one other thing I'd like to say about uniqueness. Of course, a, a lot of people... Uh, talk about the visit of Charles Darwin and the theory of evolution. You know, it's unique, really, for being the place that Charles Darwin Mm -hmm. first started to see the potential for what became his theory of evolution after his visit there on the Beagle in 1835. Um, So that's sort of, again, a a unique element, uh, both in biology being a a sort of Charles Darwin thing, um, but also in history that the Galapagos has as a destination. I think those are a lot of factors that contribute to putting it on the bucket list for a lot of people. I know it's definitely on on my own bucket list. But when you get right down to it, I know a lot of people would watch documentaries and they're absolutely fascinated and they love this idea of going to the Galapagos. But I don't think a lot of them actually know what's involved in getting there. It is a very remote destination and it's fairly difficult to get to. Can you tell us about what is the easiest way to access the islands? Sure, Cass, with with great pleasure. The the archipelago of the Galapagos is located uh, around 600 miles or uh, 1,000 kilometers west of Ecuador, part of of South America, obviously. This means that in terms of access, you would get to them um, through flying into Quito, which is the capital of Ecuador, or, or Guayaquil which is the second city mm-hmm. of, of Ecuador. If you don't know how to get to Quito or Guayaquil, I can tell you it's very accessible, particularly from the Americas, just to give you a few flight times that may be of interest. It's only four hours flight from Miami, five hours from Houston, eight hours from Los Angeles, which means for a lot of American guests, it's actually mm-hmm. more accessible than many areas of their own of their own country. Obviously, you know, if you live in Mexico or Brazil, very accessible yes. for you there. If you come from further afield, perhaps Europe, it's less accessible, but there are still direct flights with KLM, Iberia, and, you know, American Delta, United, British Airways. 
come via the USA because of that proximity of the USA to, to, to Galapagos. Once you arrive in mainland Ecuador, because of course there are no international flights into the Galapagos archipelago themselves. So once you arrive in mainland Ecuador, um, it's a very easy flight from either Quito or Guayaquil, around two hours from Guayaquil mm-hmm. or, or four hours um, from Quito, the capital, including a stopover in, in Guayaquil. So it's very, very accessible there. Uh, you said sort of um, where to start. I guess conceptually, if we were to look at where to start, my view is most of the people visiting the Galapagos would fall into three categories. Funnily enough, we actually have a, an itinerary which would suit each of the three categories. So you've got like you, Cassia, your, your bucket list Galapagos guys who want to mm-hmm. focus on the Galapagos and do, say, a couple of nights in Quito and then out to a seven-night cruise, which is a fantastic itinerary. People who want to combine that with some of continental yes. South America, we've got our Best of Ecuador program, which includes an amazing mixture of Amazon rainforest, cloud forest, and then Galapagos for three different wildlife destinations, three different climates, three different ecosystems in one amazing itinerary staying within the borders of Ecuador. Um, And then if you feel, you know, perhaps you're from Europe or further afield and you want to combine a couple of countries, combine two destinations, combine two experiences, one of the most popular trips that we sell is to combine Galapagos with Machu Picchu. So in that itinerary, which takes around two weeks, You've got the best of an amazing, iconic wildlife destination and a brilliant historical, cultural destination in in Machu Picchu that combine really, really Mm -hmm. well. And those sort of three itineraries are a great place conceptually where to start from. So it's actually far easier than most people would imagine it. A lot easier to combine with other parts of South America. Certainly. Okay, so... Now that you've solved the problem of how to get there and and potentially what else to do around there, I know one of the first decisions that people need to make when looking at their time on the island is to decide between a cruise or or a ship and actually a land-based stay. What are some of the pros and cons of both? And personally, if you were traveling, what, what would you choose? That's a really good question, Cassian. And if you were to ask me, what is the question that we end up answering mm-hmm. most about the Galapagos. This is probably yes. a ship or, mm-hmm. or lodge. How long should my stay be? Large ship, small ship, all of these are fantastic questions alongside the normal ones of when should I go and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Uh, listen, I would say it boils mm-hmm. down to exactly what your needs are. Um, you know, if you have unlimited time, flexibility, you know, and you want to see the most that you can in the Galapagos in the visit that you do, undoubtedly the best way is to travel by ship. You know, the islands are so diverse that if you don't travel by ship, you know, you're unlikely to get around the whole archipelago. And you've got to bear in mind, I mean, a lot of people, particularly wildlife lovers, particularly and beyond guests who may have done a safari or two in their time, they think, oh, well, Galapagos is just like any other safari park. We even had people contact us and say, oh, I'd like to do two nights in the Galapagos and then go here and here and here. And we say it's, it's not like a safari park. In a safari park, often, you know, you may be coming out of a lodge, you'll go and visit similar areas during your mm-hmm. stay there, perhaps go back to areas that you've been to before. Um, like I mentioned earlier, um, the Galapagos is a marine reserve of 70,000 kilometers. You're never going to manage to do that from one single base. And the important aspect about the Galapagos is because of the different ways yeah. that the animals have developed on the different islands, in order to get a full picture of the diversity of the destination, you have to go and do multiple island visits because the wildlife is different and has evolved differently in each 
different stop. Because the travel times between the islands Mm -hmm. vary from about an hour or so for the shorter cruises to up to six to seven hours for the longer crossings, like to to visit Genovese Island up in the northeast of the archipelago, which is known as as Bird Island for the birders amongst the listeners, where the the major land species never reach this island. So that the birds predominate and you'll literally be tripping over nesting frigate birds, gulls, red-footed boobies and the like. You know, that is a long cruise and can only be done on a liveaboard ship experience. Certainly as well, if there are really keen divers amongst Mm. the listeners, you know, the key dive sites of Wolf and Darwin Islands um, are 12 to 14 hour cruises away. So, you know, you again would have to be on a liveaboard there. So the benefit of being on a ship is that the longer cruise connections are done in the evening or at night. And that means that they limit the unproductive time that you would otherwise spend in moving. So look, so far, so good. That, that's the benefit of going on a ship. If someone says, well, you know what, I'm not 100% uh, comfortable sleeping on a boat or I get mm. badly seasick and, you, you know, I don't want to be on a boat for seven days. There's still a great option for you, which, as you've mentioned, is, is going and staying in one of the hotels. On the hotels, you do limit the exposure that you have within the archipelago to only the, the nearer islands. Most of the day cruises will go to sites that are between one and three hours away from the home port where the lodge is that guest is, is staying in. But the advantage of a lodge is, is for shorter stays, say anything under three nights or for people not comfortable sleeping on a ship, as I mentioned, We've got some great partner properties like the Pikaya Lodge and the Galapagos Safari Camp that really offer a fantastic experience for those guests. Another factor to to consider is that a lot of the time, because of the cost of operating, the cruises do tend to be at a higher price point than the lodge stays. So again, if a guest is limited in their budget and and, and would like to Mm -hmm. look at shaving some costs from a cruise that has been offered, it may save them some money to look at the lodge stays instead. I mean, look, other people as well, you know, there are the cruise guests and and the lodge guests. Some guests like to combine the two because a lot of the the cruises tend to be divided into diving cruises and land-based visit cruises. So the land-based visit cruises, you can snorkel, but not dive. The diving cruises, you do visit some of the land visits, but the focus is on the marine experience and getting under the water. If you're a little bit of both and you want to really maximize your land visits, Mm -hmm. but you'd love to do a few dives as well, some people combine the two. So they'll do a land visit cruise for maybe seven nights to really get under the skin of the archipelago. And then they'll spend a few days at a a hotel afterwards to do some dive trips to the nearby Gordon's Rocks, for example, out of Santa Cruz. You asked me what I would do. If I was Mm -hmm. visiting for the first time, I would probably actually definitely Uh, make time uh, to enjoy a seven-night cruise uh, on one of the smaller boutique ships, such as the the newly launched Elite or Endemic, which boasts some of the largest suite sizes of any of the boats in the Galapagos. And with a maximum of 16 guests, they're guaranteeing a very, very personalized experience throughout, a little bit like an Mm -hmm. Andion Lodge elsewhere in the world. Ultimately, Cassia, I mean, I hope I've kind of answered your question, but the good news is there is a product for everyone in the Galapagos, whether you're looking for a larger or a medium-sized vessel or a small boutique ship product, whether you're a diver or just a snorkeler, a, a bird lover or a reptile geek, or someone who wants to just play with the sea lions and tortoises. If you've got three days or two weeks, or you're an old sea dog, or you struggle to find your sea legs, 
the important thing about planning mm. any trip to the Galapagos is tell us what your needs are, tell us what your interests are, mm. tell us what mm. the focuses are. And our fantastic Ecuadorian team based out of Quito will find the right option for you. It definitely sounds like there really is something for all kinds of interests. For sure. Now, a little bit earlier, you mentioned Charles Darwin and, of course, the fame that the Galapagos have gained as, as the place where he studied and developed his theory of evolution. What are some of the things that a visitor to the island can do if they want to follow in his footsteps and sort of relive or recreate that journey that he went on to come up with the theory? Cassia, you, you've certainly done your homework. This is another one of those questions that we get all the time. And it's amazing to think if you if you realize how much Darwin is associated with the Galapagos today, I'd say mm. Darwin is probably more associated with the Galapagos than any other area of the world. It's amazing to think that he himself only spent five weeks in the Galapagos Islands in 1835 as a young 26-year-old botanist on the, the ship, the Beagle. And it was 25 years later that he published his seminal work, The Origin of the Species, in 1859, which mm -hmm. came up with this or presented for the first time, this theory of, of evolution. What was interesting for Darwin about the, the islands is that he noticed yes. that, um, you know, these unique creatures that he came across in these islands um, were similar from island to island, but perfectly adapted to their environments in each island, which is what led him to develop the theory of evolution, because he could almost see how these differing islands had, had come from, from one or a limited number of individuals mm -hmm. in the initial instance. Some of the great examples of the, of the wildlife that fascinated Darwin were the, the finches that, that are actually called Darwin's finches mm -hmm. today, who had different beaks and different facets uh, to their biology, um, which were adapted to their environment. Mm -hmm. For example, a longer beak for rooting out insects or a, a broader beak for cracking nuts, depending on what their ma major food source was. He was fascinated by the um, giant tortoises and, and noted the different characteristics and sizes, shell patterns, behavior uh, of these animals, depending on which island they came from. And he was also, funnily enough, fascinated with the marine iguanas, mm -hmm. which he thought and actually noted in his diary, they ate fish. He thought they ate fish. But later on in the voyage, he actually dissected, caught and dissected one and discovered that they ate algae. So all of these elements, though, the finches, the tortoises, the marine iguanas, would form a fantastic basis mm -hmm. for an in the footsteps of Darwin a trip. Uh, you know, in terms of where to find that trip, well, Really, most itineraries will offer many of the islands which Darwin visited, the, the big names like San Cristobal, Floriana, Isabela, and, and Santiago. Those are some of the main mm. islands in most of the itineraries. So in essence, and I promise you, this is not me hedging against the question, every single trip to the Galapagos is following in Darwin's footsteps to a certain extent. And every single trip to Galapagos really yes. is bringing the theory of evolution to life. I mean, you, you could say the Galapagos is, in some senses, <laughs> a, a living natural history museum that, that perfectly illustrates mm. what Darwin was getting at in his you know, seminal work and thinkings. Mm -hmm. And of course, part of the attraction is that it still remains pretty much the same as it was back then. Very much so. Very much so. Which is, which is amazing to think. Now, you've spoken a little bit about diving and snorkeling. 
what are some of the activities that visitors can take part in in the Galapagos? And maybe you could share some of your personal highlights and top experiences during the time that you've spent on the islands. Oh, God, Cassia, um, how long do we have? I could go on for hours. Um, no, I mean, look, it it, it really is a, a, an amazing place. I mean, some of the activities that you can do, you know, snorkeling with the sea lions is an absolute favorite for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I liken it to taking a dog for a walk in the water. You know, the, the sea lions will buzz past you and, and blow bubbles and play and, and do somersaults in the water. It's fantastic. You can kayak in uh, and around some of the beautiful bays and, and island spots. You may see dolphins, you may see golden rays, you may see other marine wildlife um, from the kayak. Just gets you more up close and personal with the marine wildlife experience without actually having to get in the water. Hiking up mm-hmm. Bartolome Island is something everyone must do. You, you see this iconic uh, pinnacle. If you've ever seen a, a picture of the Galapagos, uh, I'm... 80% sure that it will include, or, or several pictures of the Galapagos will definitely include the Bartolome pinnacle. Mm-hmm. And behind it, you've got this amazing lava field, which sort of gives you a, an yes. open air geology lesson of the, the volcanic roots of the archipelago. One of my favorites is coming face to face with a giant tortoise, some of them over 100 years old. I mean, amazing to think that these old animals were, were born before the First World War ended all those years ago. One of my personal favorites, Several times Mm. I've been lucky enough to see a feeding frenzy of seabirds diving headlong into the sea, collecting around a massive shoal of fish. Um, And it's sort of really a a vision of nature at its its most raw. Seeing skill in flight, if you like, of a frigate bird, uh, which doesn't actually hunt for its own food, but it steals it from other birds. So has to be an amazing flyer and soars um, mm-hmm. up there in the airs above the archipelago. That's another uh, amazing sight as well. I-, I did mention diving and my top mm. dive experience in in the Galapagos probably was cruising alongside a, a massive whale shark between 12 and 14 meters long up at uh, Darwin Island in the northwest of the archipelago, which was a, an amazing, amazing experience. That sounds utterly, utterly amazing. As as a keen diver, it is something that I definitely would want to do for myself. Oh, you must, Cassie, you must. One of the things that, that comes up a lot, and you see a lot of footage or a lot of photographs from the islands where people can get so close to the various species, both both in the water and on the land. I think for somebody who's coming from a safari background in particular, that that's really something that's completely different and completely unusual. What is the reason why it's possible to get so close to so many species on the islands without frightening them away or causing any kind of reaction? Yeah, yeah, you are you are dead right, uh, Cassie. I mean, this is for me one of the most amazing aspects of the islands. I mean, often, you know, because of the nature of our company and because I've spent time in Africa and South America, people often say to me, you know, I mean, isn't going to the Galapagos a bit like going to Africa. Um, and as I intimated earlier on in the, mm. in the discussion, mm. it, it's really not at all, you know, because Africa is very much a macro experience, you know, big vistas, big animals. Galapagos is very much a micro experience mm-hmm. where some of the animals are smaller, some not, but you're seeing it really up close and personal. When I said earlier on about going to Genovese, you're literally falling over nesting sites and birds. I wasn't joking. When I said coming face to face with a giant tortoise. 
I wasn't joking. You were at a distance of a meter, two mm-hmm. meters. You know, you really do get up close and personal. So it is one of the most amazing aspects of the islands. Why uh, was the question? Well, I would say, first of all, the remoteness. That's why there's so many endemic species, so many unique species there. And there's been so little impact mm-hmm. um, from the outside world since they were first discovered in the mid-1500s. Secondly, largely speaking, it does vary from island to island, but largely speaking, in many of the islands, there are no natural predators. That obviously means that the, the animals are, are less you know, skittish than they can be in, in other areas. A- another aspect is the way that the islands have been protected over the years. I mean, I mentioned um, that that's since 1930. And the way that the islands have been protected and the way that mm-hmm. the islands are, protect- are protected today ensure you know minimal impact um, to the islands and maximum comfort for the animals in the presence of humans and, and one of the key aspects of that is each ship has a GPS on it that is monitored by the national park I've run Galapagos ships in the past and there were times when we were due to leave a point at 5:30 in the evening and at 537. You know, we hadn't moved because we were waiting Mm -hmm. for a guest to get back on board or something like that. The Galapagos National Park would give us a call and say, hang on a second, guys, you're meant to be moving on. You know, it really is that rigorously controlled. Um, So Mm -hmm. because you've got these, the numbers of people are carefully controlled at each disembarking point. This really does mean that the animals are very comfortable in the company Mm -hmm. of humans. They're never pressured. They're never push. There's never any over-tourism, which you can unfortunately see in other areas of the of the world and the natural world. Uh, and, you know, what we've seen elsewhere is that that pressure has altered animal behavior. There's none of that pressure um, in the Galapagos due to the protective measures, mm. um, you know, mm. put in place. I mean, just as a little anecdotal element, if you don't believe me about how serious um, the National Park take the protection of the Galapagos. There was a movie Master and Commander with Russell Crowe and Paul Bettany came out uh, 10 years ago. Uh, Look, if you're interested in the Galapagos, I would recommend watching the movie because it's got some amazing scenic shots. But there's one Mm -hmm. shot in that where Paul Bettany, who is the botanist in the the production, runs down a hill having sighted a a ship over the Mm -hmm over the other side of the island. Mm-hmm. And if you look carefully, you'll see that he is actually leaping over the plants because <laughs> the Galapagos National Park only allowed them to film on condition that they didn't touch any of the plants or wildlife during the filming. So <laughs> it really is taken very, very seriously. And, and, you know, we can be the beneficiaries of that today. It's fantastic to see a place that's protected so stringently and so effectively. Oh, it is. It is. Mm-hmm. Mark, when we started speaking about what makes the Galapagos so special, you mentioned the number of endemic species that there are on the islands. You've mentioned some of them as we were talking, the iguanas, the giant turtles, a lot of the bird life. Can you tell us what other species there are that you find absolutely fascinating? And maybe tell us about a favorite wildlife encounter that you've had on the islands. Just one? Cassia, come on. Uh, no, I mean, okay, look. Uh, <laughs> okay, so look, um, yeah, we've, we've talked about the giant tortoises. I mean, my favorite tortoise story before I get on to the other um, animals mm. is the fact that one of the giant tortoises that was collected by Charles Darwin in 1835 died in Australia in 2005, 175 years later. Oh, wow. So, you know, it really is an extraordinary animal. Also, the the marine iguanas are fascinating. The land iguanas as well, you know, I love. The Galapagos penguin. I mean, it's the only penguin to be found 
on the equator. And of course, you can see it both on land mm. and under the water. These things are like little bullets buzzing around the water. It's quite phenomenal to see. The waved albatross mm. is one of my uh, favorites. The blue-footed booby is one of the iconic seabirds um, with its amazing, very brightly colored blue feet. And then, you know, I mean, on the marine side, you've got a lot of dolphins and shoaling hammerhead and Galapagos sharks for the more adventurous of people who are interested in the marine side of the wildlife. I mean, God, in, in terms of uh, the wildlife interactions, I've, I've been lucky enough to be involved with this destination for a very long time. I, I first visited as a, a long-haired backpacker in 1994. And really, each time I go back to the destination, it fills me with a mixture of, of wonder and, and humility about the quality of the wildlife interaction you can get there. I mean, if I had to limit it to, to a few, one of my favorite dive experiences was diving actually at a place I've mentioned earlier, Gordon's Rock, just to the east of the central island of, uh, of Santa Cruz, where I followed this turtle for probably two to three minutes. And eventually he turned around as if to say, you know, what are you doing? And I, I was following him with my, with my camera. And he came up to my camera and started tapping on the lens of my camera. I could only assume because he could see his reflection in the lens and was sort of maybe trying to show off to himself. I mean, I don't know. I was lucky enough one time on a kayak excursion to have a dolphin leap over the front of my kayak, which was obviously pretty extraordinary. Another time, another dive story. I was up in Wolf Island diving with a friend of mine and, and uh, we went through a shoal of hammerhead sharks, I would estimate. 100 to 200 individuals, which is not the biggest of the shows that you get there. And I was sort of waving at my friend and trying to signal to him, you know, I mean, isn't this amazing? Wow. They were just above us, about, about a meter, meter and a half above us. And we were basically just swimming through the shoal. And when we came up from the dive, I said, wow, check those hammerheads. And he was like, well, I didn't see anything. He'd been looking down all the time and he'd missed the whole thing. So that was one of my favorites. But if you if you look on land, you know, one of my favorite interactions, and everyone who goes to Española will see this, is the, the complex mating dance that you get of the waved albatross. It's amazing to think that really the only place they've ever been regularly documented as landing is on Española Island in the Galapagos Islands. And they, they go out looking for food across the sea for much of the year and then come back to mate and raise their young. They live for 40 to 45 years, but they mate for life. And if a mate dies, the surviving part of the couple won't couple again. I always say it's an ideal reminder for honeymooners of what they've signed up for. <laughs> but, you know, to see when they arrive for the first time, they recognize each other through this complicated mm -hmm. dance. It's a very almost human interaction, which is a weird thing to say about a bird, but it's the, it's the reality of the way that you feel when you see these, these couples interact. And, and that's very, very special. Those are all amazing experiences that I think you would absolutely struggle to find anywhere else in the world. For sure. Getting back to the details that we talked about at the beginning. I know the Galapagos is a year-round destination. Sure. But what are the different experiences that you would get depending on what time you would visit? And maybe not as specific as what time of the year can you see the, the albatrosses dancing, but more or less, what, how would your experience differ? No, no, for sure. And, that, and that's a very good question again. Uh, listen, the, the great thing about Galapagos is it's bang on the equator, um, which means essentially pretty much great year-round great uh, year -round weather. Um, and there's, of course, limited seasonality because you mm -hmm. don't have the extreme seasons that you have either further north or, or, or further mm -hmm. south. There tend to be two seasons which um, sort of splits through the year. I mean, I would say June to December 
is generally cooler, drier, and then uh, December through to May is generally um, warmer and with more rainfall. But it's tropical rainfall that comes and goes and doesn't really impact the experience. Just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about when I say warmer or, or cooler, your, your temperatures would range from 18 to 24 degrees centigrade. That's about 65 to 75 degrees Fahrenheit in the cooler season on land. And in the warmer season, it's uh, 26 to 29 degrees centigrade. That's about 75 to 85 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the average water temperature, I mean, as I mentioned earlier on in the cast, does vary due to the thermoclines that you get throughout the year. But the average water temperature in the archipelago is, is around 21 to 24. That's about 70 to 75. Doesn't vary much, um, as you can uh, here during the course of the year. But because of those thermoclines, we do still feel that a short wetsuit is best, um, you know, for snorkeling because you can go through through colder water. In terms of the wildlife, there mm -hmm. is always absolutely tons going on. So there's no bad time to visit from a wildlife perspective. Of course, there are seasonal events like mating, whale migrations, whale shark season, that kind of thing. So if you have a specific interest, it's best to highlight it up front and we can recommend the best mm -hmm. season for you, depending on what your interests are. Mark, as a last question, we've spoken a bit about um, the extraordinary level of protection that the Galapagos National Park gets and, and some of the measures that are put into place to make sure it remains pristine. And obviously that ties in very much with and Beyond's ethos and the way that the company does things. Mm. In the extraordinary sort of circumstances that we find ourselves in now, living in, in a COVID or hopefully almost post-COVID world, some of those restrictions and, and the very remoteness of the Galapagos are among the factors that make it an absolutely ideal destination for post-COVID travel. Can you tell us a little bit about those factors and, and how you feel they'd impact the experience? Sure. Well, look, I mean, as you know, um, the Galapagos is actually already open for visits since July, which is, is fantastic. What you've been talking about, that is one of the reasons for that. Other reasons, the protection on the archipelago, like I mentioned, 97.5% mm -hmm. is national park. Uh, like I also mentioned before, the itineraries are strictly controlled with the numbers of ships and, and guests limited at each site to, to maximize the quality of the guest experience. And obviously in a post-COVID world, that limits um, naturally the, the contact that you have with other people during your visit to the archipelago. Very limited visitor numbers and a very limited local population. The, the, the local population, which is focused on two main towns that you will hardly visit, is only 25,000 people, um, so small in the global context, and it has little opportunity to grow, so that's unlikely to change. The ship-based visits are capped at around mm -hmm. 73,000 visitors per year, which sounds like a lot, but split across 85 different ships and 70,000 square kilometers of marine national park uh, across 365 yeah. days of the year. It's, it's not actually a lot. And, and I say capped because there's no new spots in terms of cruise ships uh, available. Every time uh, one new cruise ship arrives, then um, one cruise ship has to leave. There are a limited amount of permits um, to operate in the Galapagos, which which caps those numbers. So, so by their very nature, I would say the cruises, a little bit like one of Ambion's boutique lodges elsewhere in the world, mean that you come into contact with very few other guests. Most of the ships we use would have a maximum of 16 guests, which means that they're ideal to be chartered by a family group mm -hmm. or, a, or a group of friends wanting greater privacy levels. And, and, you know, we talked about COVID. One of the other things about it is, is Galapagos has had a very limited number of COVID cases, only 109 COVID cases, no deaths and 
and being very remote, like, as I said, many of Ambion's lodges, it's a, it's a great, great destination for people who are concerned about the ongoing pandemic to, to consider. I mean, mm-hmm. despite the fact that, as you can see, Galapagos is very, very low risk from that perspective. You know, our partners in Galapagos have implemented strict protocols, just like we have in our lodges, around arrivals, departures, sanitizing luggage, limiting social contact and others in order to maximize health security in the post-COVID world. In some ways, ironic, I guess, to say, Cassia, mm. but you could say that now is, uh, there's never been a, a better time than now to, to visit an amazing destination like the Galapagos. Because, you know, I mean, obviously, unfortunately, mm. with the current situation, there aren't as many people visiting the Galapagos as there would normally be. And, um, you know, that represents a unique opportunity for the right type of guest who mm. would love to go to this amazing unique and iconic wildlife destination to visit at a time when very few others are visiting, which would be fantastic in my view. Sign me up. Mm -hmm. I'm ready to go. (laughs) So am I. (laughs) (laughs) Great. It definitely sounds, yeah, definitely sounds like the ideal destination to actually just get away from the craziness of the world at at the moment. For sure. Mark, thank you so much. You've painted an absolutely vivid and beautiful picture of this fascinating part of the world. And it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much, Cassia. It's been a pleasure talking to you too. And we look forward to seeing many people in the Galapagos uh, in the uh, months and years to come. Bienvenido. Absolutely. I'll be planning my trip as soon as I can. (laughs) Thank you. Take care. (laughs) Thanks, Mark. Bye. Thank you for listening to and Beyond Fireside Chats. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. If you have any comments or feedback, or would like to suggest a topic you'd like to hear us talk about, drop us an email at firesidechats at endbeyond.com. We'd love to hear from you.